we are <clears throat> going to be looking at a woman uh, today named Rahab. Uh, Rahab was a, a woman uh, involved in harlotry, uh, in a sense, uh, you would say prostitution. Uh, there are some commentators that would uh, downplay that over the course of time, particularly in the first and second century. There were a handful that began to kind of hop on the bandwagon that uh, the word in Hebrew didn't actually mean harlotry, but it might have been someone who was an innkeeper or someone who um, was a host to different people. I don't hold that view at all. Matter of fact, I believe that this woman is very similar to John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Uh, she's very similar to the picture of a Mary Magdalene, those who uh, she washed Jesus' feet with her hair, that people looked at her, and she was, in a sense, an outcast. She was a woman uh, who her name literally meant to be wide. Uh, and what that meant is, is that she was wide in her sin, and God would use that later uh, for his purposes, but she, in a sense, was destructive with her life. She was arrogant and obstinate against God. She was a Canaanite woman who had a pantheon of gods, and she uh, did not believe uh, in the way of Israel or their God, Yahweh, the one true God, the creator of all things through his son, Colossians 1. And so here it is, this Gentile harlot is going to have an encounter with the God of the universe. And what's incredible is, is that as we look at this story, you're going to see her conversion to the God of the Bible. And she's going to be your very first Gentile convert in all of the Bible. And so in Joshua chapter 2, you're going to see this unfold. And I think there's about two or three things in there that are just absolutely incredible. The defining moments for her and her faith that should resemble us and our faith. That you should see such evidence of life change as you did in the story of Rahab. And you may go, well, I don't see it. But today, when you walk out of these doors, you're going to see two or three things that happen in her life. A declaration of, of God, not only with her lips, but also the way that she lived her life. And so, if you'll join me, I want to look at this woman who God uses mightily. Matter of fact, so mightily that you probably didn't know this coming in. She becomes, because of what God can do with this woman, call her out of her sin, her harlotry, her idolatry to other gods, and she becomes the great, great, great grandmother of King David. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, she is going to be the husband of Salmon, the father of Boaz, and then ultimately she is going to be the great, great, great grandmother of King David, and she is going to be in the lineage of our Messiah, Jesus, Matthew 1.5. This Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman involved in harlotry, becomes a part of the lineage of God. Now, why is that incredible? It's incredible because that involves the story of hope, and it shows us the great God that we serve, that he can take even us, those of us who wear these shirts that say no perfect people allowed, and it gives us hope that God can take us even out of the worst of our sin, and he can clean us up, and he can use us for his kingdom purposes. And so I hope that today you see this story of hope and this definitive picture of who God is and what he does with people who put their faith in him. And so let's dive in in Joshua chapter 2. I want you to look at verse 10 with me to begin with. And we're going to look at verse 10 and 11. You go, well, why in the world are we skipping the first nine verses? And here's why. Because I want you to see what she had heard prior to this story unfolding. And so here it is uh, in verse 10. 
For we have heard, speaking of the Canaanites that lived in the city of Jericho. She says, we have heard the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. So God is going to use a series of events as these Israelites make their way ultimately to the promised land. And as they go to the promised land, they're going to have to come up against several different people. And so they've already seen God's hand against the people of Egypt. And Pharaoh and God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites crossed. And ultimately they allowed the waters, uh, God allowed it to cave among the people of, of Egypt and many were killed. Then what's interesting is, is they're going to move forward and Jericho is going to be that very first battle. And then after Jericho, this incredible thing that's going to happen there, they're going to be defeated at Ai because of Achan's sin, because he stole some things that weren't his. And then ultimately after that, God's going to punish them and then they're going to go on a 32-0 run to the promised land. But it starts right here in this story. And you see that this incredible uh, story, this picture of what God is doing is being unfolded. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God is what? He is the God of the heavens. He's above the heavens and he's on earth below. So in verse 10 and 11, you're going to see what this woman says to these two men who were spies from Israel. And we're going to see that they're going to come and they're going to knock on her door and they're going to find her place within the city walls, verse 15. And they're going to approach her house and they're going to be two spies from Israel in which she is going to take, and we'll see in a second, she's going to house them. But what's interesting is, is that after she's hid them and sent those from the Canaanite army away, and the king that's searching for them, she says to them up on the rooftop, listen, I have heard about what God is doing. Our men tremble before your God. We have heard of the mighty acts of God, what he did across the Red Sea, what he did to the people of the Ammonites. We have heard and our hearts have melted before him. And you can see God taking and he's already beginning to show himself to these people in which are going to have destruction. And here's why. Because even though their hearts melt before God, they decided that they would go ahead and continue in their own way as opposed to repent from their sin, change their lives, with the exception of this one family, this one woman. And you look what she says in verse 11. This is the declaration that changes her life and ultimately salvation comes to her house. And that is in verse 11, the very last part of it is that he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. In that moment in time, it is as if she had already seen what God was doing even before the spies arrived, she said, we've heard, we've seen, I have responded. And I'm going to show you why I think she responded even before the spies were there. And here's why. Because she repents and she changes her life. She changes what she's doing. And you go, well, how? Well, I'll show it to you in just a minute. So look at me in verse, let's look at verse 1. So Joshua, the son of Nun, he sent two men secretly from Shudom as spies saying, go, View the land, especially Jericho. And they went, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel 
have come here tonight to search out the land. Then king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. And so here it is, these men come to her house, she hides them, then the people of her own land, the king of Jericho and his army come and they knock on her door and they say, listen, we know that you're housing them or we know that you've at least seen them. And then look at the response. Verse 4, but the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, true, the men did come to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. So she said, they approached me at dusk, but I didn't know where they were from. I couldn't make them out. I don't know what they were trying to do, but they slipped out. And so she just basically covers all of this up. And the reason why is because she's a liar, right? Because that's going to be one of the common things that you look at. You go, well, she's a liar, you know? And and so how does God change this woman who's a liar? No, listen, she is actually working as best as she can in obedience to God and his people. And so she, she moves them away and says, listen, they have gone out the city gates. And so she says, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where they went, but, pursue, I don't know where they went, but pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Verse 6, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Now, what's interesting, if you look at verse 6, I think this is the very first sign of repentance in her life. Think about it. The Proverbs 31 woman that we talked about a few weeks ago, she set her hand to the spindle, and she gathered wool and what? Flax. And the reason why is because that's what a hardworking woman would do. She would work, and she would uh, work the spindle. She would gather wool and flax, and she would make different thing, coverings for her bed, covering for uh, her house, covering for her family. She would sell them to ultimately gain up shares to be able to buy other lands. She was a hard worker, a noble woman. And what's interesting is, is in verse 6, I think you now begin to see that about this woman who was once in harlotry. So let me ask you a question. Why would a harlot have wool and flax up on top of a rooftop? She wouldn't. Why would she? Because she wasn't intending to work hard with her hands. She intended to work hard in other ways. She was going to gain her uh, money and ultimately everything she did by deceptive gain and being the man of harlotry. She was going to be Madam Folly that you see Solomon talk about all the way up to Proverbs 31, that noble woman. And so she was the woman of folly. She was the woman who pursued ill and uh, misguided gain. She was the woman who deceived many men. She was the woman that oftentimes when two men knocked on her door, she wasn't looking to hide them. She was looking to deceive them and ultimately lead them aside for her own monetary gain. But that's not what you get in this story. What you get is no sort of sexual advance. You don't see any part of that. What she does is she takes God's men, because she knows who they are and ultimately where they're from and what their purpose is. Why? Because she has seen the splendor of God. She has seen his mighty hand at work. And she has already had her heart melted and trembling in fear about who God is. And so she says, I'm going to take you and hide you. And she, she hides them in her workplace. And I think is your very first step of repentance is because, listen, when you and I have an encounter with the holy God and when we declare with our lips that he is the God of the heavens, and he is the God of the earth, then we have heart change. And that heart change leads not just to repentance, but also 
It leads to a whole new life, a whole new view of living. Meaning we don't continue to sin that grace may increase, Romans 6.1. Meaning that we don't continue to do the things that we formerly done in our way of life. We bear much fruit, Matthew 7. We no longer live according to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit, Galatians 5, Romans 7. And so the goal is, is to see what this woman is beginning to do. And you see that she takes a repentant heart and she begins to use that for God's purposes. I think it's the, the picture of who she was in Hebrews 11. This woman makes it into the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Look at it in verse 29 through 31. I'll put it for you up on the screen so that you see it. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. It was her welcome to the spies that was evidence to God of her righteousness and heart change. It was evidence of the way that she housed them. That she didn't deceive them, manipulate them, or try to lead them astray as she had done many other men. You saw already a reflection of God in her because she feared who he was and she realized that no longer should I continue to follow the pantheon of gods that all my brothers and sisters as Canaanite men and women do, but I should have a heart transformation and follow the one true God. And you saw it began in her work and it also began in the way she treated other people. Verse 7, so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. And so here it was. She had deceived them and said, hey, take off. I don't know where they went, and so they followed. And so here it is, her and her house housing uh, housing two spies. And then you see in verse 8, before the men laid down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that the inhabitants of the land melt before you. She goes, I know, I know that this city is yours. I know what you've done. I've heard it. I heard about what's happened to the Amorites. I know what happened to the Egyptians. It is spreading all across the land. I fear your God. I want him to be my God. I am changing my life. I am following him. I've denounced all my ways. I've denounced all the the things that my people have taught me, and I am pursuing him. And then that's where you get verse 10 and 11. For we have heard the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before he came out of Egypt, and what he did to the two kings, the Amorites, beyond beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted with fear, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of the heavens. And on earth beneath, so you saw what God was doing already in her life before those men ever knocked on her door. Do you see that? And then look at verse 12. Now then, please, please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you, you would also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. So let me ask you a question. In your life, in your salvation, what do you hope from God? Think about it real quickly, because this is a pivotal question full of theology and lots of riches. When God sees fit to reach down his sovereign hand and pluck you out of your sin, give you a new life, a new heart, replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, to give you a new spirit within you, what do you hope for? That God would give you riches? That God would give you monetary wealth? 
The God will heal all your diseases. Okay, so if that's not what you hope for, then don't believe that theology. Because that's not at all what she hoped for. Like, you didn't see her one time say, God, I've put my trust in you, the great God of Yahweh, the God of Israel, and I'm trusting you so much that I'm hoping that you'll spare my city, that you'll heal my land. That's not what she prayed. Do you know what she said? She said, will you promise me on oath that you will spare me? And here's what she wanted. Listen, she wanted a seal of her redemption. She wanted a promise. Look, I have dealt kindly with you. God has changed my heart. I have housed you in fear of him and a respect for him and what he's already going to do. I'm trying to join God in that work. It is almost the Henry Blackaby quote. I mean, I, you look to see where God is working, you join him. That, that's what she's doing. She's like, I know what God's going to do. I'm either going to die in destruction or I can join him. And she's willing to leave all her people, all her gods, all her beliefs, all of her sin, all of her idolatry, all of her life that she has formally created for herself and say, I'm going to pursue God because I'm not going down with the city. What's interesting, though, is look at this. In verse 15, if you look down, then she let down by a rope through the window for her house who built the city so that she lived in the wall. Now, interesting enough is that she lived in the wall. So archaeologically, you can see it. I actually looked it up this week, and there were basically two walls. There was a, a wall that uh, was a huge wall that fortified the city on the outside, but there were an even bigger one on the inside. But inside of that wall, many people lived inside that wall. And so you had inhabitants between the two walls, and then you had more inhabitants inside the city. And so within that wall probably would have been more like the red light district and probably cheaper houses, more affordable living. Within the wall would have been more people that had uh, money and wealth and notoriety. So what's interesting is, is how God uses this woman who didn't have the nicest things, who lived in not the most affordable place, or, or I mean lived in the most affordable place. She, she lived in the midst of sin, and God said, I see fit to use her even in the midst of where she lives, in her poverty, in her sin. Matter of fact, isn't it a great place for spies to go? Honestly, is it, it, it was not uncommon for two men to knock on her door. But it's evidence of how God would use that to change her. But here's what's interesting. I think this is the key to all of this. She was so willing to have Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That she says, I know destruction's coming and I know that it's liable to kill me. Where did she live? Within the walls. What's going to happen? Joshua 6. The promise is, Joshua, I want you to encamp the city. I'm going to, you're going to walk around it one time for six days in a row. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times. You're going to shout and blow your trumpets, and the walls are going to come crumbling down. Is there anyone that's going to be possibly at risk of losing their life from the onset more than this woman? The answer is no. So she gets to the point in her relationship with God that she says, All I'm asking is that you would remember me, that you would remember who I am, and that you would, you would set a seal on oath by your name, by your God, for me and my family. She's not saying, I'm hoping that you'll save my life. She's just saying, I'm going to lay my life down in a way that is real. And I'm hoping that you'll remember me. That's the picture of what she's giving here. 
And so she says, verse 12 at the very end of it, I'm hoping because I've dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. It is the picture of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. That's for you and I. Listen to this. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. You and I are sealed for the day of redemption because of who Jesus is, Ephesians 1. We are sealed. Like God puts his spirit in us, and he says, and I'll never take it away. You are sealed for the day of redemption. I seal you. I set you apart. I give you eternal life. I'm not going to snatch that away from you. I am sealing you. Do you understand that incredible promise? So look at the response. And the men say to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then When the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. That is the way that God intends to deal with us. Kindly and faithfully. And then she lets them down through the window. She lives in the wall, verse 16. And she said to them, now go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. And the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head. He goes, I will give you a promise on oath, a seal of God's promise to you through us. And it is this, because you have housed us, because you have showed us another way, because you have kept the, uh, the, the Canaanite guard off of us, we will do what we said with two things. Number one, that you take a scarlet thread, a rope, and you tie it in the window. And that scarlet thread and that rope is a symbol of God's salvation in your house. And you know that when you tie that up on oath, that there could be people who are going to what? Question, persecute, do anything they want with you in your faith. Because you are saying outwardly as a symbol of your salvation that God is in charge. So which goes to say this, if you and I are devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we don't get to pick how and when we give an oath to God through our picture of salvation. I think the first step of obedience for her, it could be similar to the step of obedience in baptism for you and I. That is an outward sign of what God has done. And so she gave a visible outward sign in the midst of a pagan Canaanite land that's about to be destroyed. Would you say that's repentance and life change? I would say so. I would say this woman is more bold than most of us probably are in our faith. And then she goes out and she gathers her family and she says, let me tell you about the God that I am serving. Let me tell you about the story of life change that's happening in my life, which is another picture. You and I are not meant to have a secret faith. Our faith should not only be a declaration, but it should be a demonstration. It should be a visible image of an invisible God living vicariously through us in the spirit. 
changing our lives radically in a way that we show other people who he is in our lives. And if we don't have that, then we've got to ask some questions about our faith because even Rahab had that. Even Old Testament believers had radical life change through their faith. They didn't have the cross. They didn't have Jesus. But God saw fit by their faith to save them and to make them new. And that's what's an incredible picture. And so she not only ties that cord to her window, but she goes out and she gathers. She shares the gospel with those that she loves. She shows who God is. She is kind to them. She says, wait for three days, and then after that, you'll be free to move on. Then verse 20, but if I tell you, if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. She said, that's great. I'll take that oath. No problem. And he said, if you leave your house or if you go AWOL, understand that there was no seal to begin with. Do you understand? Like if you decide at the last moment, you hear shouts and you hear people walking around the wall and you hear things and you decide, I'm going to go join my Canaanite friends. Understand, there is no protection for you. Protection is only when you bear much fruit for the cause of Christ. Protection is only when you bear the gospel, bringing forth fruit in your life. That's when protection, that's the seal of redemption. The seal of redemption is not just a declaration and then you go AWOL. And so she says, I, I, so be it, I will stay. And she stays faithfully. What's interesting is, is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, you're going to see this idea of, of faith and works. And I, I want to read it to you really, really quickly, and uh, just so you see it. Matter of fact, let's, let's just skip on down to 22. You see that faith was active along with works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Verse 24, then you see in relation to faith and works, you see this woman named Rahab come up. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Do you see, when she received them but also sent them out by another way, it was credited to her as faith through her works. Now, works aren't the justifying point of salvation. And so it says right here, she was justified by works when she received the message and sent out by another way. Verse 26, for the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the same picture here that if you look up further up, it's talking about works and talking about even the demons believe in God, yet they shudder. So what's the difference between a demon in their faith and you and I in our faith or a Rahab or an Abraham in their faith? What's the difference? And the difference is their works. They're justified by their works. Now, what's interesting is justified by their works is not justified before God in their works, but it's justified by, before men. So people ought to look at you and they ought to be able to say, he once was walking this way, but now he's clearly walking this way. He used to be this, but now he's this. She used to be this, but now she's this. And according to men, men ought to be able to look at you and they ought to see you justified before them by your actions. It is Ephesians 2.10. It is that you and I are Christ's workmanship, that we are created in Christ to do good works. 
salvation saves us, we're justified in Christ, but then we're justified by men, by our sanctification, by the way we choose to live our lives. And so that's the point. And so verse 22, they departed and went into the hills. They remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned, and they came from the hills and passed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melted away because of us. The only thing that God assured the people of Israel of was this, is that the people fear our God. That's it. They didn't have like the secret passageway. They didn't report anything back other than, listen, they are trembling in fear at what God can do. And in all the city of a pantheon of gods, you had one woman and her family housed with a scarlet thread hanging from their window saying, we believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth. We believe in him, and we want to follow him. And it's an incredible deal. And in Joshua chapter 6, look at verse 17. Flip over, it's a few chapters over, but in verse 17, the city is about to fall. The, the walls of Jericho are about to tumbling, come tumbling down, but in verse 17, just before it happens, and the city and all those with Within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Then verse 22. But to the, the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So he goes, you made an oath. We sealed it for the day of her redemption. The city is coming down, and so the walls fall in like 20, chapter uh, 6 of verse 21, verse 22. They go in, and they bring her out. So the young women, uh, verse 23, the young men who had been despised went in. They brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers. All belonged to her, and they brought out all of her relatives, and they put them outside the camp of Israel, and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze of iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, look at verse 25, the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua, saved alive. And she had lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers of whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. That, my friends, is the perseverance of the saints. That's what happens when you have radical life change and God enters into your life. You persevere. You persevere through hardship, you persevere through calamities, you persevere through suffering, you persevere, why? Because you know that God has sealed us for the day of redemption, that there's going to be a day, Revelation 21, that all old things will pass away. He's going to wipe away every tear. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And this woman perseveres in the midst of this time saying, God, I believed in you. I have evidenced my change of heart in you. And God, I am trusting you that you're going to save me. And just as the ark saved Noah and his family, this room with the scarlet thread hanging from the window saved this family for a day of redemption in which she would live in Israel and ultimately become the great, great, great grandmother of King David and in the lineage of the Messiah Jesus. Why? Because she evidenced life change. It's Hebrews 3, 13 and 14. 
But you and I should exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. And if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. And she said, I am going to hang on to the end. And can you imagine living within the walls of Jericho on that seventh day when the trumpets sound and the people shout and the walls come tumbling down? The screams, the fear, the agony, not only to the people around them, but even in their own life, wondering, God, can we trust you in this? God, can we trust you in this? God, can we trust you in this? And then you see that God is trustworthy. Amen? And so I pray that you would see that salvation is not just a New Testament thing, but that salvation has been occurring throughout the Scriptures. And God doesn't just choose those who seem that they're worthy, but God is willing to choose anyone who will leave their lives and follow him in obedience. Even the worst of sinners, God can take and change and use for his purposes. But the key is, is this, life change. If we claim to love God and we claim to share in his inheritance, then you and I should not have a demonic-like faith, and that is simply believe that, that there is a God and yet shudder. We should believe in a God and then follow him with all of our lives. He should change us from the inside out. And we should be a scarlet thread, a remnant of people in a culture with a pantheon of gods. And so let me ask you a question. Do we live in a culture with a pantheon of gods? Yes. And so how are you and I going to be salt of the earth? How are we going to be a, a light, a city on a hill, a beacon of hope for people to see? It's how we live our lives. And so may we do that well. Let me pray for us, church. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of sharing in this marvelous story. We thank you for a woman like Rahab, God, who we saw so clearly an evidence of life change in her life. God, we thank you, thank you, thank you that she is a reminder of your goodness and your faithfulness. And God, we just thank you that you allow us to take part, to be justified in Christ, and to have a process in which we are sanctified and made new. And Lord, I'm so thankful that just in the case of Rahab, that you promise in Philippians 2, that if you begin a work in us, that you'll carry it unto completion. And so people will know us by the way we live. And so God, help us to live faithfully for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.